Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Today, uh, as we get into the Word, um, I've titled this, uh, Not Perfect, But Present. But Present. Becoming a, a father is such a tremendous experience, or, or becoming a grandfather, or becoming a great-grandfather, all of these things. And um, I know that we have a number of first-time dads um, who are in our church, but, but of course, even for the dads that are here, I'm sure you remember the feeling of that first child being added to your family, and the joy, the excitement, the, the amazing change that it brought to life, like everything changes, the wonder of it all. Uh, things are new every day, and I'm not just talking about diapers and outfits, but, but things are just constantly changing. And, um, you know, when you think about becoming a dad, there's all of that that is, that is awesome, but there's this other side of it too, where, and, and this is what I felt, and I'm sure many of you felt too, this awesome sense of responsibility, this sense of, oh my gosh, this isn't a puppy, I can't take it back. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I am now responsible for this human being. And, and it's sobering, uh, you know, to, to have that. And life just got really real uh, when that child gets added to your home. And you are now not only responsible for your wife, but responsible for this tiny little human being. And, um, you know, I think, I think every dad can attest to this as well, is that sense of, I just want to do my best. I, I want to do my best. I want to be my best. Um, as a dad, I think, I think every father wants to be the perfect father, which is a setup for a guilt trip. It really is. I mean, it's a setup for your head going, man, have I done enough? Have I done what's right? You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. And, and, you know, but think about it this way. If perfection is the goal, then first of all, that's overwhelming. But second of all, it's just condemning. Because the truth of the matter is, there's only one perfect father, and that's the heavenly father. And on earth, there are no perfect fathers. But the good news is that it's not trying to be the perfect father that makes the biggest difference in the lives of children. Perfection, whatever you think that is, isn't the goal. It's not about being perfect. It's actually about being present. And this is what research tells us, that the single greatest influence into the future and the morality of children is the absence or presence of their father. Research reveals that having a father present will make a, a, a child just be better at cognitive abilities, their, their language abilities, their, their social development will do better. It'll improve their academic achievement as well. Um, they'll have a stronger sense of self-esteem. There's lower incidence of, of depression as well. This is all coming from 2006, so it's not that long ago, this particular study that I read up on. But here's what's important to understand about this. It's not just about like physical presence. It's not just like, yeah, I had a dad at home, therefore, you know, everything is, is better than if he wasn't at home. 
But it's about being present mentally and emotionally. It's about being present in terms of connectivity. In other words, it's not just being about being in the home, but being in their lives. Because you can be in the home and not in their lives. And and so the message, though, is very clear that children need their fathers. But the research, and this is other good news, also indicates that having a father figure is of great value. And so that father figure may have come from a stepfather or a brother or an uncle or even a grandparent or a family friend, but it can still have tremendous impact into the lives of children. So let's, let's talk about what it means then to be present uh, in, in our children's lives. First of all, being there means making time for them making time for them. You know, time is uh, a tremendous value to kids, a tremendous commodity. Whether they ask for it or not, kids both want and need time from their dad. Uh, Your children want your time. Your children want your attention. And it's funny because, you know, even in my notes here, I'm just going to talk a little bit about this, but when my kids were really little and stuff, and then they started playing sports and, you know, I'd take them out to a hockey arena or whatever, and they'd be playing. If they scored a goal, the first thing they did wasn't go look at the bench or look at their coach. It was to look at me because they wanted to know that I saw what they had did. They want my approval on it. They want, you know, my applause on it my, and, and all of this. And, and the funny thing is, is I, I shared this in the first service, obviously, and um, then went outside and literally watched it happen right in front of me as this child threw a beanbag, you know, into the, uh, you know, the target. And the first thing he did when it went in was turn to his dad, turn to his dad. You're the most valuable fan in their life. You're the most valuable fan in their life. And that's why they're looking to you. That's why they're, they're, they're looking for, um, for your affirmation. And it's a, it's a big deal for you to be there. Uh, to take that time and do that is a big deal. And so it's important to be there. Be there for things like games you know, where they're going to be looking for you in the stands or be there at concerts or presentations where they're going to be looking for your smile, your applause, and, and your affirmation of a job well done. Be there when nothing is happening. Be there just because you're just going to spend time and hang out and listen to what's most important to them. Children want our time, but children also need our time. You know, as I consider something like the book of Proverbs, The book of Proverbs is actually an instruction given from a father to his son. In fact, Proverbs 1.8 says this, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. And over and over, he repeats that, you know, listen, my son kind of phrase in Proverbs. And then for the next 30 chapters, he goes on to give instruction about all kinds of areas of life and, you know, just talks to his child about marriage and morality and money and dealing with people and work and values and ethics and godliness and attitudes and so many different areas of life. But all of this is is put into this context and into this verbiage of, listen, my son. It's not Solomon trying to write, you know, a New York Times bestseller. That's not what he's trying to do. It's not him trying to put out, you know, the latest self-help book. It's not Solomon trying to, uh, you know, get the attention of people outside of his home and, uh, you know, and, and writing to leaders or something like that. It's a dad 
who's so interested in the success of his son's life that he takes the time to communicate to him everything that he's learned in life that his son can get, get gleaned from. And as a father, he's just talking about life and talking about lessons that he's learned in relationships and people and all, attitude, all these different things. But being present, being present in the son's life and, and, and not just being present in terms of, of physically, but emotionally and with his, with his thinking about, he's actually considering, he's actually considering, what does my son need to hear? Solomon is not just hanging out with his son. Solomon is intentionally presenting things that he has thought through, things that have impacted him that he knows could really help him and things that would help his life. And you know what? Fathers uh, face pressures and opportunities as well that can take them away from having that kind of presence, that can cause them to be busy at work or ambitions or different things. But, when, but here's the deal. And so it's, it's not like, and I, and I want to clarify this, it's not like you should be at home and spend six hours a day hanging out with your kids. I mean, that, that's not reality. It's not the world we live in. But, but here's the deal. It's when you are there that you're actually present. Because it, it's not just about a quantity of time, but it, it is about you being present in that moment. That you're not, you could be there for three hours and never show up. You could be at home for three hours with your kids and your head is still at work, you know, and, and you're still frustrated about something that happened during the day and, and your attention is on something going on and, uh, you know, on your phone or whatever it may be. But it's about when you're there, be present, giving them undivided attention. That you're not giving half of your attention to them and half of your attention to what's going on on, on, a, on your phone. And, and if you do that, I guarantee you, they're not going to feel the same impact. You can say, well, I can hear you and I'm, I'm verbally talking, but they're looking for eye contact. They're looking for that intentionality. In fact, Joel shared a story with me where uh, his son Brixton one Saturday morning wanted him to play Legos with him. And so he says, dad, I want you to come play Legos. And then he says this, and don't bring your phone. <laughs> uh, even a little guy like that, you know, he's got it all figured out. Number two, be there with affirmation to bring the best out of your children. Be there with affirmation to bring the best out of your children. I, I went uh, golfing with uh, some of my kids yesterday, and while we were driving there, one of them played on his phone golf affirmations. Yeah, that exists. It should be called golf lies because that's what they do. They just get on there and they lie about how good you are. And what they really should get on there and say is things like, you really need to get some lessons. You should practice more before you go out and play a game. You might want to hire a coach. Uh, that would be a lot more helpful than, than trying to convince us that we are something we are not. At any rate, I'm not talking about those kinds of affirmations when I talk about affirmation. Children do need their fathers to believe in them. Children need fathers to be their greatest cheerleader. And as a father, you are the most powerful voice in your child's life. That is not by default. That is by design. God made you that way. You know, life has a way of beating people up, including children. Life tries to constantly speak into their world and tell them who they aren't and what they cannot do. 
I want to say to you dads that your voice is louder and more influential than any schoolyard bully, any coach, any teacher, any other voice that would try to speak into their life. You have been given a voice, a preference in the life of your children that can lift them out of the negativity that could be spoken over them or that could be just running through their thoughts and get them to believe again in their future that God has for them. Affirmation isn't just about telling them that they can do it. It's not just about performance. And this is really important to understand. Affirmation is about letting them know that win, lose, or draw, you love them, you will always be there for them, you believe in them, and you believe in the future that God has for them. Look at the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. And then the heavenly Father speaks and a voice is heard saying in Matthew 3, 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. That's affirmation. That's affirmation. Did Jesus really need to hear that? I mean, if you just consider his deity, this is the guy who's about to go and multiply food, walk on water, raise the dead, heal the sick, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the, whole, the dumb will talk. I mean, the, the whole deal. Did he really need to hear that? Well, if you just look at his deity, you might say no. But if you consider the fact that Jesus was a man and you look at his humanity, then you would probably say, Yes. And I don't believe the Heavenly Father just spoke because it's like, hey, I'd like to get a line in this Bible. You know, it's like he spoke because he knew his son needed to hear that. And the timing of it is so strategic. Jesus hadn't done a miracle. Jesus hadn't raised the dead. Jesus hadn't caused blind people to see, deaf people to hear. Jesus didn't feed the multitude. He didn't have a long sermon when everybody paid attention and nobody left early. I was healing just to say that. So Jesus hadn't done anything. It was nothing to do with his performance. And yet the heavenly father speaks affirmation into his life. And, you know, it's really about uh, being the kind of father that affirms, encourages, speaks up when your son or daughter are just being themselves. And that's what he does. You see, the father wasn't just letting him know that he thought he was great because he had done something. He was letting him know that he was great because of who he was, not what he did. Who he was. And security in life is about knowing that you are loved, you are accepted for who you are, not because of what you do. Security is not something you can earn anyway. And fathers can impart that with affirmation into their children. Number three, be there as an exemplary leader to show them the way. I've got good news and I've got bad news. Here's the good news first. The good news is that kids tend to live the life that they have modeled to them. The bad news is that kids tend to live the life that they have modeled to them. In other words, it's really up to us, it's really up to you to teach by way of example, to, to live out a life 
that will, will impart something into your children where it's, it's not about what they heard, it's not about what they were told to do, it's about what they actually saw. That's why this is what I would say to dads. The greatest thing that you can do for your family is follow Jesus with all of your heart. Allow Jesus to change you. Allow Jesus to make you more like him. Allow Jesus to fashion your attitudes, your character, and your values to be centered around Christ and his kingdom. And the more you become like Jesus, the greater you have done a service for your family. You see, we can put a lot of attention on things that we can think, oh, I should teach this to my children and, and focus on our words. And we can put a lot of attention on what we do with our children and, and providing experiences for them. But the greatest impact actually comes from who you are. That is, what you will be to your children has more in, is more influential than whatever it is that you could say or do with them. In other words, it doesn't matter what you say if you live a life that contradicts it. If you're saying one thing, but the life you live is another. It doesn't matter what you do if you're not even a kind person that someone would actually like to spend some time with. Do you know what your children are really looking forward from you, looking for from you? And that is this, consistency. Consistency. That you're the kind of person who will keep your promises, that you'll live a life of integrity, that you'll be honest, that you will apologize when you need to, when you've done wrong. Again, it's not about being perfect. That you're the kind of person who would be humble rather than put on a, a, an image of success. I've got it all together. I'm doing it all perfect. No, they'd sooner see you be real than try to pretend to be something that you're not. That you're the kind of person that you don't have to be perfect, but you're authentic, that that's who you are. You know, there's a great story in the power of an example from the scriptures about King David and his descendants. And although David made his mistakes, he was still known as a man after God's own heart. He still pursued um, righteous living and leadership in his nation. You know, when he made his mistakes, he did humble himself, all those things. And here's what it says about him in 2 Chronicles 17 and verse three. It said, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David's earlier days and did not seek the Baals. Baals were idols, by the way. But he sought the God of his father. He followed his commandments. He did not act as Israel did. So the Lord established the kingdom in his control and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat and he had great riches and honor. The scripture says there here, that he, that he followed the commandments, that, that he actually sought to follow his father David's earlier days. But here's the background that you need to understand. And that is this. David isn't Jehoshaphat's father. Asa is. But in this culture, they did not make a distinction between a father or a grandfather or a great-grandfather. In fact, they would refer to a grandfather as father. David was actually Jehoshaphat's great-great-great-great-grandfather, which means he's a really great guy. Another dad joke for you. But at any rate, moving right along. So here's David. David is Jehoshaphat's great-great-great-great-grandfather. But get this, his example was so powerful 
that it was now being followed five generations later. Five generations later, David was being credited for what was going on in Jehoshaphat's life and how he was pursuing the Lord and pursuing God's will for his life, just like his father had done. And you know, when you think about the power of that, I think about when we do child dedications, which we did one here just recently, we're we're always reminding people, this isn't about just this moment, but this is about what's gonna happen in generations. That the promise of the scripture is that that as we follow the Lord, that God's gonna do something that's gonna go down through the generations, that it can have generational impact. And that's why our choices are so powerful and so influential that we're to be that exemplary leader in the lives of our family as dads. You know, don't, don't just be, by the way, the breadwinner or, or, the, or the Mr. Fix-It at home. That's good that we do those kinds of things. But be a leader in other ways in your family. You know, be, be the one who makes family life fun so the kids are like happy to come home because it's not always all just so serious and so sober, you know, kind of thing. Be, be the leader who who decides I'm gonna create memories for my family. We're gonna, we're gonna do some adventures and do great things together that'll be good memories. And by the way, be the, this is for dads especially, be the spiritual leader in your home. Don't have a mentality that says, well, you know, going to church and uh, Bible study and prayer, that mom can take care of that. You know, mom can take them to church. Mom can do all of that. Mom can lead in that way. No, no, dads, get off your blessed assurance and be a man of God, okay? You can interpret that however you want. Get off your butt and be a man of God and put leadership when it comes to the spiritual life of your kids. Because here's the deal. Your kids are wondering what matters to to dad because what matters to dad is gonna matter to them. And and when my kids were, were really little, I just made a decision at that point that every time they went to bed, I was the one that's gonna read the Bible story. I was the one that was gonna pray with them. I was gonna put spiritual leadership into them. I wasn't gonna delegate that. It's not that my wife didn't want to or wouldn't. I just decided, I think I know this. I think I should do this because I think this is gonna really mean something in the future that their dad did it and didn't pass it on to somebody else. Number four. Be there when they mess up to give them another chance. Be there when they mess up to give them another chance. There's a story in the Bible that Jesus tells of a man with two sons and one of them decides that he knows what's best for his life and he's just gonna leave home, uh, take his share of the inheritance. And not only does he leave home, but he leaves everything he was taught at home and just goes and lives a very counter uh, life to the culture he was brought up in and the values and the morality and all the rest of it. And there's a message just in that as well, that you can be a great dad and uh, still have kids that make bad choices. In fact, some of you in this room might have great dads and you were the one that made some bad choices. But after a season of doing life his way, he comes to his senses, the Bible says, and he decides to return home. And the story goes that the father was waiting for him there, not waiting with a pointed finger, not waiting to say, I told you so, uh, not waiting to put him in his place, but waiting to receive him and give him a second chance. 
Our kids need us to be there to give them a second chance. You see, if you just got offended at what your children did, got angry, and then decided to ignore them, your absence would actually send a message. It would be a message that dad doesn't care, uh, a message that this isn't redeemable, that you aren't redeemable. And it may not be an intended message, but it still sends a message. When your kids are messing up and you're still showing up in person, on the phone, just continuing to pursue the relationship, you send a message that dad cares. And as long as kids know that dad cares, it gives them a reason to care too. Because you care about their choices, they will care about their choices. Because you care about their future, they will care about their future. And because you care about um, and know about what they're doing, they will give more attention to what they're doing. Okay, one more story before we, before we close. The story needs a drink of water first. I've written about my father's legacy, this lady writes. I can best describe it by telling of a pivotal experience with him. After I went through a painful divorce, my family thought it'd be a good idea for me to move away and to get a fresh start. So I left my rural community for the downtown of a southern city. I'd be near my sister and her family and a good school for my youngest daughter. Though I felt like a fish out of water, life brightened considerably after I was introduced to a handsome widower named Frank. We began to date fast and furiously. My children did not like him. My father called me from Tokyo and my mother from Seattle, both of them telling me to take my time. I was reading the scripture and praying. I just chose not to see the red flags. Being stubborn and willful, I made a bad decision, a sinful choice. After knowing Frank for only six months, I married him on New Year's Eve. Soon I became afraid for all my, my safety and realized that I had to leave. I had no place to go except back to my parents' home. I put a few things in the car and began the two-day drive. My fears multiplied with every mile. Questions swirled in my mind. What was my life going to look like now? And, and, and what was I going to say to my parents? What would they say to me? I had failed my children. What kind of example was I? Fear kept my hands on the steering wheel and adrenaline kept my foot on the gas. As I rounded the last bend in my parents' driveway, I saw my father standing there. I parked the car and I took a deep breath to try to stifle the flood of emotions that I felt. As I got out, my father wrapped his arms around me and said, welcome home. There was no condemnation. There was no I told you so. There was no no guilt, no shame. One of the sureties of my life has been that I knew my father loved me unconditionally. Through all of my ups and downs and heartbreaks and bad choices and sins, he, const he was constant with his love. I've often said that I wouldn't compare my father to God, but he has shown me what unconditional love 
and forgiveness and grace are. The woman in this story is Ruth Graham. And the father in this story is evangelist Billy Graham. Be there when your kids are messing up. Be there because that's exactly what the Heavenly Father does for you and I. God is there when we mess up. God is there when we need healing. God is there when we need forgiveness. God is there when we need another chance. The truth is that we've all messed up. We've all messed up. And we all need another chance and we all need forgiveness and we all need healing. And and the question becomes, how can I experience that in my life? How can I experience God in my life? How can I experience his forgiveness? How can I experience his unconditional love? And people have so many ideas as to what they think Christianity is. So many wrong ideas of what they think it means to actually be a Christian. And, and, and maybe some of these ideas are ones that are in your head. Maybe you're thinking, if I become a Christian, that means I have to become a religious person. God, I hope you don't. If you read the Bible, you'll find that those were the people Jesus was constantly correcting because they got it all wrong. Maybe you're thinking it's just about, I, I need to go to church more and, and, and that, that'll do it. Listen, church is a great place to learn and to grow and all the rest of it. But truthfully, you can keep coming to church and never allow Christ to change your life. Maybe you're thinking, now I just need to really focus on being a, a good person. There are people who do not know Jesus who are good people, but they still don't know the Lord. They still don't have a relationship with the living God. Maybe you think it's just about Believing in God. Believing in God is a foundation. It's a starting place. But there's more to it. What does the scripture say about it? Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that is acknowledging Christ's leadership in your life, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. In other words, there's only one provision that is paid for your forgiveness and my forgiveness, and that is Christ coming and going to the cross where he died and then rose again. So believing in your heart, raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's by confessing with your mouth that you're saved, that you're saved. You know, I don't know where you're at. You could be at various places right now in your life. Maybe you're even a person who's been running from God. It's like, you know, someone got me watching this church service. Somebody brought me to this Father's Day event. But you've been running from God. And I just want to say to you, God's got your attention right now. You can stop running. You can respond. You can engage in a relationship with God because maybe you've had some wrong images about what it means to follow Him in the first place. Maybe you're a person who's never actually made a commitment a wholehearted surrender to Jesus. You've you just kind of gone to church and gone through these motions, but, but you've not really given your life to him. Maybe you're a person who prayed a prayer, made a commitment, but you just didn't follow through with it. It was just a momentary action. But today's a day of salvation. Today's a, a, a moment, a time. It, this is an opportunity for you to respond to the Holy Spirit, for you to say yes to Jesus and begin a personal relationship with the living God, which is what Christianity is all about. I said earlier, we titled this message, it's not about being perfect, about, it's about being present. You know, that's a great description of what Christianity is about as well. 
Christianity is not about you being perfect. It's not about you fixing something in your life, trying to be good enough for God, all of that. What it is about is it is about accepting his presence into your life, receiving his forgiveness, allowing Jesus to be present with you and you with him so that you can live out a relationship with the Holy Spirit and allow God to lead you in life. So right now I'm gonna invite everyone to stand as we take time to pray. And for those who might be in the room that would say, I sense my own distance from God. I don't really feel like I'm at a place where I have surrendered my life to Him and I'm walking with Him. I know I've done better in the past, but I've strayed. Whatever your condition might be where you know I need to pray this prayer. We just invite you to pray along with us. For those who are watching online, I don't, I don't believe it's coincidence that you're hearing this message today. But I believe that God's got your attention and he's brought about a moment in time right now for you to respond to the Holy Spirit, say yes to Jesus and allow God to begin to work in your life as you follow him. So I invite you to pray as well. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came, that you died on the cross and rose again. You paid for the sins of the world and that includes my sins. I ask you to forgive me. I invite you into my life. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to follow you with all of my heart. From this day forward, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.